Inside the scarred up heart Inside a raging storm The word is angered Cause Satan has declared a war I'll fight this battle, Lord Because you're worth fighting for I pledge my undying love to you my heart, the battle's deep within, it's trying to control me, spirit and flesh at war, I'll take up the sword of truth, because you're worth fighting for, I pledge my undying love to you, you died for me, though I set me free So I'm honored to struggle Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting for It was by your stripes That I was healed For this mighty army You will build I'll fight this battle, Lord Cause you're worth fighting for I pledge my undying love to you You died for me Though I led such a shameful life Set me free So I'm honored To struggle, Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting for You died for me Though I led such a shameful life Grace has set me free I'm honored to struggle, Lord Cause even in my toughest battles You're worth fighting for You died for me Hello everyone, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn and we got an awesome, awesome message for you today. We got the testimony of Missy Newsom, and she's going to tell the story of her son Michael. But before we get into that testimony, I got a couple songs I want to play for you. This first song is by a group called Walking by Faith and they're out of Robbinsville, North Carolina and you can call them at 828 479 one two nine one and book them for your church or your christian event or get a hold of one of their great cds here's walking by faith with a song called city of my dreams some sweet day i'll
Singing around God's throne Some sweet day When I make it to sweet heaven shore I'll bow down And praise my Savior Singing around God's throne Some sweet day When I make it to sweet heaven shore I'll bow down And praise my Savior forevermore Some sweet day friends and now we got another song i want to play for you by morse mott and this is a powerful song with a great message called inside this house and you can call morse at 317-838-8336 morse mott has an awesome ministry he travels all over the country singing and preaching and he also uh, pastors a church so morse is a busy man and he is fighting for jesus so give Morse a call and book him for your church or your Christian event. Here's Morse Mott with a great song. This house was empty The rough sacked low windows were broken all the rooms were cold sin had stripped its furnishings left only barren walls and hollow sounds this house was only days from falling down they said, it's worthless I said, I know I heard them bargain Sin's bid was low I listened as the auctioneer Yelled out with going once Going twice Someone Step forward to pay the highest price. 
When Jesus came to live inside this house He purchased it with His own crimson blood From the ceiling to the floor The windows and the doors He decorated every room with love When sin and His friend emptiness Moved out Jesus came to live inside this house. When Jesus came to live inside. With his own crimson blood From the ceiling to the floors The windows and the doors He decorated every room with love When sin and his friend emptiness moved out Jesus came to live inside this house Now no one will ever find a sign And reach for sale again Cause heaven holds the deed That once belonged to sin Oh, Jesus came Live inside. Oh, Jesus came to live inside this house. All right, friends, and now we got that testimony of Missy Newsom. She recently dropped in the upper room here at Rig Ministries, and we're located at 215 Industrial Avenue. We have a daily service Monday through Friday at 1230, and you just never know who's going to drop in the upper room. Missy was uh, over in Mount Vernon, Illinois, doing mission work. She gave her testimony at a church over there. And a driver by the name of Terry Haynes, who listens to our rig ministry CDs all the time out there on the road, heard her testimony, and he gave me a call and said, uh, you need to get her over there and get her testimony on CD. So he gave me her phone number, and we got a hold of her and asked her to come over and share that testimony in the upper room service. So here's that service we had with Missy Newsom, titled, Through Michael's Eyes. Last year, uh, April of last year, a little over a year and two months ago, uh, my 24-year-old son passed away after a long, hard battle with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which is a disease that uh, uh, takes the muscle, turns the muscle into fat, so he has no, everything that is muscular turns into fat, so he, he was no longer able to walk or raise his arms or uh, do anything like that. He was diagnosed at the age of six, and at that time the the doctors informed us at age six that um, he would probably live to be about between 15 and 18 years old, that at the age of 12 he would no longer walk. Uh, At the age of 15 he would probably have to be fed all the time and and taken care of uh, and basically that's what happened he uh e- each and every year it was just a slow progress of his muscles deteriorating and no longer working um at also at the age of uh six that very first time they informed us of his disease 
they told us that anything past 18 was a blessing. He was 24 years old when he passed. So we had several years of blessings out of Michael. Michael was a young man with a highly intelligent young man. God might have took his muscle, but he gave him a tremendous brain. Very compassionate young man. We uh, started going on mission trips probably, what, five years ago, and last year was the first one he had missed, and that was because of his death. But before he passed away, he did tell me to continue on these mission trips and to take many more missions. And so we have named our mission team many more missions now in his, in his memory. Um, during this time that he was ill, it, like I say, it was a slow process, and throughout the years, he uh, slowly lost muscle, and he was uh, total care by the time he passed away. We had been taking care of him completely, 24 hours around the clock, probably for the, probably about the last six years, um, where we had to feed him, bathe him, and, and do everything for him. Um, but that was my job as his mother, and I wouldn't have... Uh, wouldn't and didn't let anybody do it for me. Um, there was no special pill. There was no amazing surgery. There was no. There is nothing for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. It's it's a uh, genetic disease. It, it just it just happens, and there's they have no idea of what causes it or how to cure it. Um, he. Uh, got involved in the church with us. We started going to Giles Creek Baptist Church in Smyrna, Tennessee. Got highly involved. Was very dedicated to his God. There was five things that Michael enjoyed out of life, and it was his God, his church, his family, the Nashville Predators, which is a hockey team that he just followed like they were his very own best friends, and cruises. He loved going on cruise ships because he could get on the cruise ship in that wheelchair. And everybody knew him within two hours because it was like, hey, Michael, where are you going? And they'd push the elevator button, and he could have some independence and not be around me and my husband all the time. So he would go and do what he wanted to do, and he just really enjoyed that. So we took him at least twice a year to do that. Um, when they told us about this disease. They told us that uh, pneumonia would probably be what would kill him because he could not cough. A, a normal cold for him could kill him, and actually that's basically what happened. He got pneumonia and uh, passed away from that. And in that time, it was very quick. He was he was healthy, even though he didn't have no muscles. So he didn't get sick a lot. But when he did, it, it was very devastating to his body. And it took a toll on him. And you could tell a difference. Each time he got sick, it was harder and harder for him to get over it and recover from it. And back in uh, April a year ago, we went to a hockey game one night. And the next morning, he got up. And he's like, Mom, I've got this tickle in the back of my throat. I think I'm fixing to get sick. So his doctor had, we always had a prescription for an antibiotic. And as soon as he started feeling like he was going to feel bad, uh, we would go get that filled and we'd, he'd start taking it. That was a Wednesday, and by Thursday, he was just in this acute respiratory distress. It was just all he could do to breathe. He was just sitting there just trying and trying to breathe. On Saturday, we've, I'm, I'm like, Michael, We've got to we've got to go to the hospital. You can't you can't wait any longer. So we took him to the hospital that Saturday night, and he was admitted to ICU. And we got up there about one o'clock Sunday morning. Got in his room, and it was Easter Sunday. And um, we was talking about you know it's Easter, and he wanted to sing some hymns, and we sang some hymns, and and. Uh, it kept getting worse and worse throughout the day, and they uh, about 10 o'clock that morning, they decided they wanted to take him to the CT scan and, and check his lungs and look at his heart and see what was going on. And he was probably gone 20 minutes, 25 at the most. And uh, we just stayed in the room. The nurse went down with him, 
And you could see him coming up the hallway. He was on the stretcher, and you could see him. They had him sitting straight up so he could breathe. And you could see his lips moving, but you couldn't quite hear him yet. And when he got to in hearing distance, he was just going, pray, pray, everybody pray. We've got to pray. And his nurse was going, Michael, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And he comes in the room. They put him back in the in the bed, and he was wearing a BiPAP to force the air in uh, to help him breathe. And you couldn't understand him when he had that on. It muffled his voice. Yet at this time... He was just, his eyes were wide open, and he kept going, pray, pray, and you could understand him perfectly. And I look at him, I said, are you okay? We're praying for you. What, is there something, did something happen? And he looked at me with this most beautiful smile, even around that mask, and he said, I saw God. And I said, you saw God? And he's like, I saw him sitting on his throne and Jesus at his right side and the crowns at his feet. And he told me, not today. I'm not going today. And I said, uh, well, why are you wanting us to pray? And he's like, you don't understand. I have just rededicated my life to God. And I have got to get the word out that God is real because I just saw him. And anybody that is a Christian and all is wondering if there is a God, he is there and he is, Jesus is at his side. And he would look at you and he'd go, certain people would come in. It didn't matter who came in the room. It didn't matter. The cleaning lady came in to empty the trash. And he'd look her square in the eye and he'd go, are you saved? And she'd go, "Mm mm-hmm. And he'd go, are you sure you're saved? And the doctor, the nurses, I don't care who walked in there. That was what he was asking them as soon as they walked in the room. Every time, are you saved? And if they said yes, are you sure you're saved? And he did that to everybody. And he he looked at me and he says, I need Brother Terry, which is our pastor. He goes, I've got to talk to him. Well, we didn't realize exactly... Everything had become a blur, and we didn't know really what time it was. And so we called Brother Terry on his cell phone, and it was right in the middle of Easter service. (laughs) But his wife got it for him and and told him as soon as he got done with the service that Michael had requested his presence. And Michael had asked um, all of us to leave the room when he got there. So I kind of walked out in the hallway, and when I saw Brother Terry come, I said, I'm just telling you. Don't take offense if he asks you if you're saved because he's asking everybody. So Brother Terry and him had this uh, discussion, and I was never told. It was between his pastor and himself. And uh, Brother Terry came out. We were sitting out in the waiting room, and Brother Terry sat down beside me, took my hand, and he said, I think I just ordained a minister. And... uh, From that time on, God was ever-present with my son. And he made what we called, Michael had journeys is what we started calling them. Because he would be sitting there and he'd go, okay. I'm like, okay. And I'd say, what do you mean? He goes, I'm talking to the angels. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the angels. Okay. So, as the that day, as Easter Sunday progressed, uh, he became unresponsive that evening, and uh, got in big trouble breathing. And they had to put him on the ventilator. And they put him on the ventilator, and he was unresponsive up to about 11:30 that night. And all of a sudden, his eyes opened, and he looked at me, had that tube in his mouth, but he, you could understand, you could read his lips enough, he wanted to know what time it was. And he wanted to know, tell me when it's 12 o'clock. So I'm like, okay, and we was just sitting there, you know, talking to him and trying to keep him from getting nervous for having that tube in his throat, because he woke up, and there it was. And we were trying to, you know, keep him relaxed and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, Michael, it's 12 o'clock. And he started grinning around that tube and and uh, worded, I told you not today. 
So God had kept that promise to him that that uh, God had promised him not today, and he wanted to make sure that today was over and the new day had begun and he was still here with us. After that, the next day he decided that that tube wasn't for him. And uh, being of sound mind and 24 years old, we have always allowed him basically from the time he was diagnosed to make his own decisions health-wise. Um, it was his body. It was his struggle to keep it going. So we allowed him to make his decisions, and he asked the doctor to take the tube out. And they're like, no, how about one more day? And he's like, take it out. So finally that afternoon, late that afternoon, Monday afternoon, they, they did take it out, and they had to put the, the BiPAP machine back on him. And he rested most of that day. And then the next day, he woke up that morning, and he was adamant, I've got to go home. I've got to go home. And I'm like, Michael, they're not ready to send you home. I've got to go home. Um, and I'm like, why are you in such a hurry? And he's like, I've got to go home to get home. God has given me a job, and I can't do it from this hospital bed. I've got to go home to be able to get it done. So I went and I talked to the doctor, and I'm like, we're taking him home. What, what, what do we do? How do we get him home? And uh, within an hour, hospice was there. Uh, within two hours, they had my house ready, equipped for him, ready to go with oxygen and the, the machines and the bells and the beds and whatever it was he needed. They had it available, and once they got everything at the house, um, they got an ambulance and they took him home. I knew that was the last time he would come in the house without leaving. But he wanted to come home to do what God had asked him to do. And as his mother, that's all I could do was do what he needed and what he requested. So several days, probably about a day went by, and he was feeling pretty good for the first couple of days, but as the days progressed, he got a little weaker and a little weaker, and it was a little bit harder. And uh, he, uh, we had asked. He had had ton, He loves people. He loved his church. He loved the people in his church. So as soon as he got home, we had visitors over and over and over and multitude. So on the next day after he had gotten home, I just kind of asked, you know, let's take the day off. Let's let him rest a little bit. He, he's been in the ambulance. He's, you know, it's taken him a while to adjust to being at home. Let's give him a, a break from visitors for a day. Well, that lasted till about noon. And he's looked at me and he goes, so where is everybody? And uh, I said, well, I kind of told him to stay home. And he's like, I want people here. So I'm on the phone. And I'm calling, okay, who? it's a work day, so who's at home? Who can I call? And I called a couple people. I'm like, can y'all come over? He wants somebody here. So uh, they were, they were i got to take a shower, but I'll be there. In the meantime, I'm in the kitchen. And we had set him up in the living room where, where people could come in, and he wouldn't you know, he he did. He was one of those people. He didn't he didn't want to miss anything. So even if you came in the front door and you just you know, some people would come in and they'd go, "How's he doing today?" But they didn't want to come in and bother him. You would hear him go, "Don't stop there. Come around the bed so I can see ya." And they would have to. He would make them come in so they could so he could see who was there. And so he was, I was in the kitchen, which was behind him. It was kind of an open floor plan. And so I was in the kitchen doing something. I heard him start talking. And I thought, I, I'm so, I walked over to him and I said, I'm sorry, Michael, I can't hear you. And his eyes were glazed over. He was looking around the room. You could tell he was not in his body. You could tell he was somewhere. He wasn't in my living room. And I'm like, Michael, where are you? And a big smile come up on his face. He goes, I'm in heaven. And I said, well, what do you see? I see my mama. And there's Chris over there. And I see, so, and he named several other people. And I'm like, uh, 
Well, how is it? And tears started rolling down his cheeks, and he said, it's perfect. And I am perfect. And he looked down at his body that hadn't worked in so long and started trying to move his legs and his feet that he hadn't been able to move. And he's like, they work. I'm perfect. I'm in a perfect body. And he kind of, you could see, oh, and and then I said, uh, well, how is it? I said, are you scared? And he rolled his eyes. He was famous for that, by the way. He would roll his eyes, and he goes, Oh, Mom, there's no fear here. Don't you know? It's perfect. There's no fear. And then you could tell he was, the eyes kind of came back, and and they were more focused. And he starts looking around the, the living room, and he's looking, and he looks down at his legs, and he says, Nothing's changed. I'm still here. I thought I was gone. And uh, I, I jokingly said, well, I did not redecorate in the five minutes you were gone. And he's like, oh, no, Mama. I was gone a long, long time. And so that proved to me that there is no time in heaven. He had already seen me there, and I'm still sitting here, so... Yay! <laughs> um, and it just was totally amazing that for that short, if it was five minutes, I don't, I can't even say it was five minutes. It was a very short time, and for him to feel like it was eternity for him that he was gone, and he comes back and and we, you know, he looks down at his legs and he's like, oh darn, you know, here they are, they're still useless um but he was so he'd go and then he'd go call brother terry i got to tell him about this i got to tell him what i saw and brother terry would we'd call brother terry and he'd come over and what we finally learned after a couple of these incidents he wasn't wanting i was thinking he was wanting brother terry to explain to him what he was seeing and what he was feeling and and what it meant he was teaching brother terry so he could tell others what he had seen and what he had felt and 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 how it was the bible is telling the truth it's the truth and that he just wanted when people were down and out he wanted brother terry to have the words from his visions that it there is a God, there is a heaven, and this is this is how what it's like. So we had uh we had that little incident and then we had several days of he would be laying there and he'd look like he was sleeping and he would uh have his eyes closed and a little grin would come up on his face and, and he'd just Michael, what are you doing? Um, singing with the angels. They're here. Can't you see them? I'm like, no, I can't. And a lot of times he'd be he'd be laying there, and all of a sudden he'd just he was very soft spoken young man because the 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 muscles that worked his vocal cords they were muscles as well. So they he slowly he didn't lose his voice, but he kept getting lighter and lighter in, in his speaking, and he would uh. He was a very soft-spoken young man, and he would all of a sudden you could you could be in the other room and he would start singing this hymn that I didn't even know he knew, and he'd say, "You hear me singing with the angels? You like that song? That's a new one. I didn't know that one, but it was, I learned it really quick." And he would be laying there and he'd go, I'd be sitting by him and holding his hand, and he'd go, he'd have his eyes shut, and he'd go, "Okay." what's next I'm like oh Michael I, I, I don't know I even being a nurse I'm, I, I don't know uh, it's just God's will I just don't know what's next and he looked at me rolled those eyes again and he's like I wasn't talking to you I'm talking to the angels dying is a process and they're teaching me the processes of death and I said well what are they he said there is a 
mental process, a physical process, and a spiritual process. And they are walking me through the steps so I can get to where I need to go. And I'm like, well, that's good. I'm glad you're not doing this alone. And uh, he had never mentioned his this job that he had uh, that God had given him for a couple days. And he started getting worse, and he started getting worse. And his dad lived in Ohio. And we had sent him back because we're like, we don't know how long this, he could, you know, we have no idea how long this is going to last. He could live for a couple months, a couple weeks. We just had no idea. Started getting worse. And I have a daughter that's older than Mike, two years older than Michael. And we got together, and I'm like, I don't know what to do about your dad. I don't know whether I, I don't know what to do. Melody, you tell me because he's your dad. So she goes, well, let's call him and see if he wants to come. And so we called, I think on a Wednesday morning, and he was going to get on the plane, and he wouldn't be there till nine o'clock that night. So Brother Terry had started just coming over every day, um, at kind of like at a set time, so Michael could talk to him and tell him about the things he had seen or what he was doing and, and that type of thing, what he had seen from God. Um, and so we had told Brother Terry that uh, Mark was coming and that uh, he would be there about 9 o'clock that night. And as the day progressed, Michael got very... He, he was very unresponsive. He slept most of the day. Uh, he didn't talk a lot. He didn't really act like he, when he was awake, he didn't act like he understood what you were saying to him. He was just kind of in and out and kind of just, you wasn't really sure what, what was there. And so his uh, brother Terry called. He was on his way to a prayer meeting that night. And on his way, he had to pass our house to get to the church. And he, he called and he said, um, uh, I think I'm going to get somebody else to do prayer meeting tonight and come and sit with Michael because Michael has such a hard time in the evenings. And that really did seem to be his, when he had his trouble breathing and his difficulty. And uh, he said, well, I'm just going to come and sit with him and with y'all tonight and give y'all some comfort. I'm going to get somebody else to do prayer meeting. And uh, he had already been by once that day, and he had heard us talking about Mark was coming in. And... Uh, when Mark got there, it was about 8.30, 9 o'clock. Brother Terry was still sitting there. And he asked all of us to step out of the room, except for Mark. And uh, so we go out on the deck, and we're out there, and probably an hour or so, and Brother Terry steps in and uh, steps out and tells us, okay, y'all can go back in. And uh, his job that God had given him was to have Brother Terry talk to him about his salvation. He uh, did not think his father was saved. And uh, he wanted to make sure before he passed away that he had at least heard how to be saved and the gospel of, of finding your salvation. And also, he wanted to hear his father pray because he had never heard his father say a prayer. And so, Brother Terry had promised him at the hospital on Easter Sunday that he would talk to his dad. And when Terry, Brother Terry realized that Mark was coming, that gave him an opportunity to do it in front of Michael, where Michael would know he kept his promise to... to uh, Michael that he had had offered the uh, salvation plan to his dad. During that time, Brother Terry said he was alert. He spoke. He addressed his father. He understood every word they said. He added in on the conversation. He asked his daddy to pray with him, and his father prayed with him. And after it was over, he no longer he was incoherent again and didn't know anything. But in that little span of an hour, God granted him the ability to present that to his father and get that done and give him peace of mind and that his father was saved. Um, the next morning, he was still kind of out of it. 
and he looks at me and he's like, okay, my job is done. I can go now. Is it all right? What does a mother say? You go ahead. You have fought the battle. You have done your job. And you know where you're going because you've seen it. Why should I be selfish in keeping you here or wanting you to stay here when you have already told me you were perfect? Who? What mother doesn't want a perfect child? I mean... So he had said, I just want to make sure it's okay with you because, you know, we've always been together, and we have. We've we've always taken care of him, and and he knew that it was going to be difficult for us once he was gone. And I think part of God's visions was to show him that he would be okay without us, and we would be okay without him till we met again. And later in that afternoon, he he looks at me, and he says, "Uh, Now, don't you forget... I will be the one standing and waving my arms up in the air because I haven't been able to do that in so long, and I'll be standing there waiting for you. And I said, Michael, the only bad part about that is that for you it's going to be a nanosecond, and for us it's going to be forever. It's going to seem like forever. And for you it's going to be a very short period of time, but I'll be looking for you, and I'll see them arms. The next morning, he had sat in a wheelchair for since he was 12, so, what, 12 years. And every day, he had this ritual. You, you set him in the wheelchair. He would say the same things every day. Pull my leg forward and fix my thumb. And so he woke up that morning, and I was sitting there beside him. And he said, pull my, pull my right thigh forward. And I just kind of tugged on him. He was still laying in the hospital bed. He goes, fix my thumb. So I kind of wiggled his thumb, had his eyes shut. It was one last ride. He thought he was in his wheelchair, and he was going to take that last ride before he walked off with Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was unresponsive. That's the last thing he said. Last thing he said. He slept most of the day unresponsive, and about 4 o'clock that afternoon, all of a sudden, he looks at me, big smile, pretty smile you ever saw, looks over at his dad, smiles, takes a little, and Jesus took his hand and took him to heaven at that very moment. And it was, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry because I knew where my son was. I knew he had proved to me through his visions that God is there. He's ever present. He was there with him every day. And I was blessed to be part of that and to be able to witness that. And his, it never was about Michael. Never was about Michael. Michael was about others always. It didn't matter what he couldn't do. Because he would teach you and try to teach you. And and just by watching him struggle through a daily life, couldn't, he couldn't even scratch his own nose. And to struggle with trying to sit up in a wheelchair, if he fell over, you had to, he couldn't even pull himself back up. You had to, to get him back setting up. But his concern through all of that, through the entire process of that disease was making sure others knew Jesus Christ and several days before he passed he said I want to tell this story about me seeing God and what I've seen and what he's shown me but I don't think I'm going to get the chance so mom it's up to you to get this story out so that's why I'm here today is to he wanted you to have the opportunity to be saved and if he was here today he would probably look you in the eye and ask you are you saved and are you sure hello jesus yes it's really me after all the wrong i've done lord i guess you're surprised to see me 
here at your altar like a beggar on bended knees who's come here to beg you oh lord please please forgive me i can't make it without you jesus yes i finally see so let me surrender my life to you and jesus jesus please forgive me i've learned the truth about satan's so-called good life oh it was just a candle it was just a candle too short to burn through the night now i'm here in the darkness and i come to you and plead oh light my life oh light my life and jesus please forgive me oh please forgive me i can't make it without you jesus yes i finally see so let me confess my sins and you can give me eternal life and jesus please please Well, friends, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Are you saved? I'm not asking you if you're a good person or if you go to church. I'm asking, are you saved? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? If you was at the gates of heaven and St. Peter asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? What would the answer be? Do you know the answer? The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and death is the separation from God, and separation from God is an eternity in hell. That's bad news. But I've got some good news for you. The good news of the Bible is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between Jews or Greeks, rich or poor, the same Lord over all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? If you're not sure, if you're not living for Jesus, pray this prayer with me right now. Oh God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe His shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection was just for me. I now receive Him as my Savior. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me for my sins. I receive this gift of salvation and everlasting life because of your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, call someone. Give us a call right here at Receiving in God Ministries.
Friends, and that's a song written by over-the-road truck driver Frank Easterling. His phone number is 214-405-9645. Give him a call and get a hold of one of these great CDs of Frank's. I want to ward life's The light of day growing dim My eyes are set on Jesus Glory and praises for Him Because the sun rose God's light shines down on land because the sun rose, a home in heaven waits for me. He's my reason for living, my faith 
stands firm upon him. My eyes are set on Jesus, my Lord, Savior, and my friend. Because the sun rose, God's light shines down on land. Because the sun rose, a home in heaven waits for me. Satisfies my needs My eyes are set on Jesus I'll go wherever He leads Because the sun rose God's light shines down on land Because the sun Shines down on man Because the sun rose He secured our eternity friends we hope you enjoyed today's message and we'd love to hear from you you can write to us call us or log on to our website and email us our phone number is 618-383-2107 or you can write to us at p.o box 578 carmi illinois 62821 or log on to our website and email us at www.regministries.com and remember Jesus loves you, and we do too. And this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn, and we'll talk at you later. I saw Jesus hanging on that tree. I lifted up my heart down on my knees. The day I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken heart and lonesome. I had been lost I left a the man I used to be I love to tell everybody what happened to me I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past and I 